Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. After the jet timeout on defense, here we go. Crowd going wild. 33 seconds to go in the game. The Jets lead by three, fourth and 21 as Allen drops back to throw at his own five-yard line, scrambling to his left, buying time, looking downfield, heaves a bomb for Davis, Sauce Gardner's there, it's knocked away! Sauce Gardner in position on Gabe Davis, knocks it away, and the Jets are going to take a knee and win it here at MetLife Stadium. Welcome to Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. I'm your host, Rich Samini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. Holy crap, what happened on Sunday? The Jets stunned the heavily favored Bills 20-17, to and thanks to Bob Wischusen of ESPN Radio for that great call. The Jets are 6-3 and at the bye week, a half a game, just one half game behind the first place Buffalo Bills. For a change, We won't be talking about the draft and free agency over the final two months of the season. There's eight games left, and they all matter. Let me throw out this key number, 72. The Jets have a 72% chance of making the playoffs, according to ESPN Analytics. Also, 72% was Zach Wilson's completion rate on Sunday, a career high. Interesting little correlation there. We're going to get into a whole bunch of stuff. We're also going to have our midseason awards, which I will give out shortly. But I want to mention our guest this week is a we have a really cool guest, former Jets running back Thomas Jones, who segued into an entertainment career after football. He's a film and TV actor. He owns his own production company, and he produced docu series entitled Life After which follows the struggles of retired NFL players. It's currently streaming on Prime Video. I can't wait to catch up with Thomas Jones in the second segment. But first, we have to talk about the craziness of what happened on Sunday. The Jets really, I loved a few things out of this game. Uh, I want to point out a couple of strategic things, and then we'll get into our midseason awards. But the defense, have to start there. They were 32nd last year in most of the major statistical categories. They are ranked 8th right now in yards allowed. It's really incredible. It has to be one of the great turnarounds in recent NFL history. And what I liked about Sunday is they kept it simple. They used a four-man rush on 37 of 39 dropbacks. They rarely blitzed. You hardly see that anymore in the NFL, just using a standard rush. And I loved what Jeff Ulbricht did here. You know, some coaches, when you go into a game where you're a heavy underdog and you're facing a high-powered offense, they they tend to overcoach. They try to come up with all these exotic schemes. The beauty of this was the simplicity. Ulbricht just let the players play. And it worked. And it's been working for the last several weeks. The Jets are number one in the league in sacks and interceptions when using a four-man rush. Now, this we know when this started because we've talked about this before. It was the, the turning point was the Quinn and Williams blow-up with Aaron Whitecotton on the sideline. Ever since then, the Jets have really dialed down the blitzing and just have relied on the four-man rush, which is what Quinn and Williams was trying to tell Whitecotton on the sideline that day, and it's been working. And what I liked about this game, now, this this wasn't just a vanilla game plan for the Jets they did make a couple of little tweaks and they changed up their cornerback usage which I thought was really interesting going into this game Sauce Gardner played predominantly on the left side of the formation he was their left cornerback in fact 
He only played right cornerback only 17 snaps in the first eight games. Well, on Sunday, pretty much an even split. He was 33 snaps on the right side and 26 snaps on the left side. Now you're thinking, oh, they used him to follow around Stephon Diggs, but that was not the case. He really wasn't on Diggs that much at all. Diggs was all over the place. He was in the slot a lot, actually, too. As best I could tell, I think they were using DJ Reed in the most challenging situations. Uh, So uh, kudos to TJ Reed, who played another outstanding game. And we'll talk about him in a little more depth later. But, uh, you know, Stephon Diggs, of course, he burns sauce on the double move on the first play of the game for 42 yards. Looked like he was going to be on his way to a monster game, but he had no catches in the second half. Jets did a really good job. Again, that little wrinkle for the first time all year of switching sides with Gardner and uh, and DJ Reed, and that really worked. And also, uh, you know, the pass rush, five sacks. Of course, the big one is, uh, you know, the uh, the Bryce Huff. I mean, at the end of the game, just to slam the door shut. Uh, you know, I love my next-gen stats. Bryce Huff's get-off time on that play, which when I say get off time, from the time the ball is snapped to the time he crosses the line of scrimmage was 0.64 seconds, which was the best in the game for any defensive lineman. So Bryce Huff doesn't get a lot of publicity because he only plays about 15, 20 snaps a game as a pass rushing specialist, but he's good at what he does. He has that little niche role, and he's good at it. And also I want to point out this the uh, Sauce Gardner interception Now you're thinking, oh, that's just Josh Allen making a horrible read. And yeah, that was not a good read, but uh, I like what the Jets did there. They went to a Tampa 2 coverage, you know, which is all zone. And uh, the Jets don't play a lot of Tampa 2, but they did in that spot. Drop 7, had Gardner and sort of a cloud coverage underneath as a corner. And Josh Allen, just really a bad read. And I think teams are going to go to school on the whole Josh with the Jets game plan. The Jets drop seven a lot. And that extra guy having seven instead of six in pass coverage really makes a difference. And you saw Josh Allen look confused a couple of times in the game. Uh, scary moment in the game on defense. And this this was almost a classic Jets moment. Quincy Williams makes a tackle along the sideline and goes right into his brother Quinnen, who's standing on the sideline watching, and he just really cut him down, went into his legs, and Quinnen got up slowly. I was watching through the binoculars. The whole thing happened, and it looked like for a second that Quinnen had a knee injury. Now, he quickly shook it off and got back on the bench with the rest of the team, but for a few seconds there, I think the uh, hearts were skipping of Jet coaches on the sideline because their best player almost got taken out by his brother. That would have been such a classic same old Jets moment, but they avoided that, and they avoided disaster on this game. And uh, let's talk about the offense. I thought Michael LaFleur called a really good game. First of all, it was balanced. He got away from being too pass-heavy. And I love that last drive. They start off with eight straight runs, and to me it looked like they ran the same play the first three plays of that drive, you know, it was a running play to James Robinson. They had Uzama and Lake and Tomlinson pulling from left to right, sort of a power run, and they ran it the first three plays of that drive. So I love that. And then LaFleur used that to set up the fourth play. They had a similar run action with Uzama pulling again left to right, except they had Michael Carter in the game. And they ran kind of a misdirection run to the left for a really nice gain around left end. So great job of Michael LaFleur using plays to set up another play. Good use of misdirection. And on that series, which was just utter smash mouth, I mean, the Jets totally imposed their will on the so-called vaunted Bills defense. C.J. Uzama did a really good job of blocking, played a very physical game. I happened to be standing near his locker after the game, and he was showing a couple of players. He had he had a few welts on his back, 
I mean, that was a really physical game. He got beat up pretty good, but outstanding blocking at the point of attack by C.J. Uzama. I also think LeFleur did a really good job with the quick game. We talked about this last week, how Zach Wilson had to get the ball out faster, and he did in this game. He averaged 2.3 seconds uh, on his delivery, his release time. Going into the game, he was at 3.2, which was the slowest in the league. This was a good game for him. I mean, the stats did not jump off the page, but no interceptions, which was a huge improvement after the New England debacle. He was throwing in rhythm within the structure of the offense. It's a timing offense, and you have to throw on time, and he did. In this week, when he threw under 2.5 seconds, he was ranked third in the league in QBR. When he held the ball and he threw over 2.5 seconds, he was the 20th ranked QB this week. So there you go. I mean, Zach Wilson, when he's decisive and gets rid of the ball quickly, and it's just he's a different quarterback. And you saw it this week. Again, 150-something yards, nothing to write home about, but he played a clean game, smart decisions, and uh, really, really a good offense-defense game for the Jets as they pull off one of the bigger upsets we've seen in recent years. The Jets were the biggest home underdog with the winning record since 2007 when it was the New York Giants hosting the New England Patriots at the end of the year. Of course, the then-undefeated New England Patriots, so that's why the Giants were a home dog. But the Jets pull off the stunner. Close the gap in the AFC East. And now I want to do my midseason awards. We're at the midpoint, kind of-ish, at uh, nine games in. So we'll do the midseason stuff now. We'll start off with the big award. MVP, to me, it's Quinn and Williams. He's got seven sacks. That's already tied for a career high. He leads all interior defensive linemen in the league with seven sacks. Quinn and Williams, my MVP for the first half. Offensive player of the first half, I'm going to go with Brees Hall. You know, he he did get injured, but he was around long enough for 681 total yards. That's the most on offense. I thought he was dynamic. He's my offensive player of the first half. My defensive player of the first half, I'm just going to go uh, ditto, Quinnen Williams. We have to put him in that slot. Uh, my top rookie so far, Sauce Gardner. I think... Can, I mean, you could go a couple of different ways here. You could go Garrett Wilson or even Brees Hall, but Gardner has been the most consistent on a week-to-week basis. He leads the NFL in pass breakups. Sauce Gardner, the top rookie. Top free agent. Uh, a couple of choices here, but to me it was pretty clear. DJ Reed, he has been outstanding. Robert Sala saying after the game on Sunday that DJ Reed's playing at an all-pro level. He is, uh, he really is. He he has been a lockdown player for the Jets. A great free agent signing. Most disappointing rookie. I'd have to go with Jeremy Ruckert, the third round pick out of Ohio State. He's been a healthy scratch in four games. And I know he's playing behind two veterans, but he hasn't been able to really gain a foothold on that number three tight end job. So, yeah, so a little disappointing. Uh, disappointing free agent. Now, I know I just gave C.J. Uzama a shout-out for great blocking, but he's been somewhat of a disappointment in the passing game, only 10 catches. Uh, I think I think he's getting more comfortable, so I, I think there's room for improvement over the second half of the year, but right now he'd be our most disappointing free agent. Biggest surprise, I'm going with nasty Nate Herbig. Guy starts out as a backup, and now he ends up having started the last six games at right guard. Doing a heck of a job, especially in the running game. He plays with a, a nasty streak and uh, obviously a guy they picked up on waivers in the offseason. No one really saw him as a factor this year, but because of the injuries, he is now entrenched at right guard. My biggest surprise. My biggest disappointment has to be Elijah Moore for a number of reasons. His poorly timed trade request, and he's actually gone three games without being targeted. Now, officially, he does have one target over the last three games in the New England game, but it never really got to him, that pass. It was a deflected pass at the line. So for all intents and purposes, he's gone three games, 69 snaps without being targeted, no catches. It's just really a disappointing year for uh, 
Elijah Moore. Unsung hero goes to Bryce Huff. I think we already talked about that. Best moment so far. I'm going to go with a uh, three-way tie here. We got the miracle in Cleveland, the final two minutes, everything that happened there, definitely. For fun, I'm putting this one in there. The Quinn and Williams stiff arm on Tyreek Hill. To me, one of the signature moments of the season so far. It just symbolized so much. You know, just beating Miami finally, getting out a little frustration on Tyreek Hill, who had some things to say about the Jets in the offseason. So, and it was a hell of a stiff arm. And also on Sunday, of course, the Bryce Huff's sack of Josh Allen at the end of the game to more or less clinch the win. I think that has to be up there with the, the best moments. The worst moment, uh, to me, no question about it. It was the second quarter in Denver. Within minutes, minutes of each other, the Jets lost two of their best young players, Brees Hall and Elijah Vera Tucker, to season-ending injuries. Uh, the biggest mystery so far, we just alluded to it, Elijah Moore in the witness protection program. Will he catch a pass again? Why isn't he catching passes? You know, he is playing. He played 27 snaps on Sunday, and yet he's essentially invisible out there. That's the biggest mystery. The best coaching decision so far, I think I touched on it. I think when the Jets switched their defensive philosophy uh, during that Cincinnati game, you know, shifting to more four-man rushes, pretty much eliminating blitzing from their offensive game plans. I thought that was a really good coaching move. And the worst coaching decision, I think making Mike White the number two and dropping Flacco. Now that has not come into play yet. And, of course, the Jets and all the fans, you hope Mike White never has to play because that would mean either Zach Wilson's hurt or playing pretty badly. So I just think it's something to watch as we go down the road. I, I did not see the wisdom in that decision, so I'm calling that the worst coaching decision. So there you have it, our midseason awards. The Jets are 6-3. and three. They're one of the best stories in the NFL. Quinnen Williams is our MVP, and we still got eight games to go. That actually means something for a change. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'd like to welcome in our guest this week. Really needs no introduction, but I'm going to introduce him anyway because he's got so many cool things on his resume. He is the 26th all-time leading rusher in NFL history with more than 10,000 yards. Played three years with the Jets from 07 to 09, and all he did was rush for 1,100, 1,300, and 1,400 yards in those seasons. Now he's a successful film and TV actor. Uh, you've seen him as a Marvel character, Comanche, and Luke Cage on Netflix. He's been in Hawaii Five O, many film credits, including Straight Outta Compton, uh, A Violent Man, and now uh, he's also got a TV series on Bounce TV called Johnson. And he's doing everything. He's producing. He's the showrunner, and he's also the lead actor. And really, the cool project that is now streaming on Prime Video is called Life After. Thomas Jones is the producer, one of the producers of a docu-series that really gets into the struggles that NFL players face um, once they're done playing. And I've seen a couple of episodes. It's really, really compelling. I highly recommend it. So I'm sorry I'm a little long-winded, but Thomas, but here he is, Thomas Jones. Thank you so much for taking the time. Hey, Rich, thank you for that introduction. And uh, it's great talking to you again, man. It's been a long time. And I think this is one of the first times we're actually talking outside of the locker room. So 
<laughs> I vividly remember I remember you in the locker room. I mean, I, I know exactly where your locker was. I think you were kind of close to Mark <laughs> Sanchez on that side of the on that side of the locker yep. room. And and I, I vividly yep. remember it. That was a great year in 09. The Jets, of course, going to the championship game. And I definitely want to get into all that stuff because you played for the Jets in a really cool time in their history. But I just want to talk about life after. Um, as I mentioned, this is a docu-series. It focuses on the lives of 12 players and really how they react once the cheering stops. And I'm wondering, Thomas, and of course you're featured in it as well, what was the inspiration uh, behind life after and how much of it was, you know, what you went through after playing, if your playing days were over? Yeah, well, I mean, um, the inspiration for life after was, just uh, the reality of what a lot of NFL players go through when they retire. Uh, a lot of guys have issues, um, you know, disconnecting from the game of football in, in the NFL. They have a lot of uh, issues with, with injuries and um, sometimes even uh, uh, confidence issues, um, you know, self-esteem issues. Um, so you know, there's a lot of emotional and psychological issues that, that some NFL players experience when they retire. And I personally experienced some of those things. And so that was the motivation to uh, to try to tell some of these NFL players stories and um, and show everyone that, you know, I know you think there's these guys make millions of dollars. And when they retire, um, you know, they're on a deserted island uh, with their feet up. But unfortunately, that's <laughs> that's not the case for a lot of guys. Um, so this was a very important project for me to uh, to work on, be a part of. One of the most powerful lines in the in the one you're featured in, you describe the NFL as a tornado. It says you're caught up in a tornado, and then when it's over, you get spit out somewhere. And I thought that was a really uh, visual description. I'm wondering if you could describe it personally, like when when you were out of that tornado, and you were experiencing life after football. Just how difficult was was it for you? Well, it was. What was difficult was uh, the gradual realization that the one thing that has, has driven me my entire life um, to be great, besides striving to be a great person, was football. And for the first time in my um, my life, you know, you know, I mean, I'm from eight years old to 33 years old when I retired. Something I've done that long now, I, I don't have access to it. I don't have um the opportunity to be a part of a team the opportunity to be, to be a part of a locker room uh the opportunity to perform in front of thousands of fans um and so for me it was a gradual realization because although it was a chaotic schedule and uh a violent game that i played and, and high stakes high pressure at all times you know you, you kind of become addicted to it almost like a drug and then, like I said, in, the, in regards to, to the tornado, once it's over, then you're just kind of spit out and you land wherever you land. And meaning um, if you're okay with being retired, that's cool. Um, if you're not being okay with being retired, that's not cool. If you don't have a future plan set up, that's not cool. Um, if you have a beautiful family that's waiting for you uh, to come home to every, every day, that's cool. But, but that's what I mean by land. You land wherever you land, depending on where you are in that tornado. And I wasn't in a really good place because I didn't have a future plan because football was my plan A. Uh, and I felt like if I had a plan B, then I was giving myself uh, an opportunity to not truly accomplish what my plan A was. Well, I mean, your your plan B, I mean, is is flourishing right now, you know, in your acting career and, you know, in production. How did you get into this? I mean, how do you go from football to acting? Acting. What was the uh, what was the motive, the genesis of that transition? Well, I was when I retired, I, I, I truly did not have any thing that I was as passionate about as football. Uh, I had a music company while I was actually with the Jets and I had a deal with Universal so I'd work with some musical artists and produce music for a few years, but uh, but I wasn't the talent. You know, I was more so managing the artists versus being an NFL player where, you know, I am the talent and and my success depends on how hard I work and uh, and how you know productive I am. 
And so I didn't have anything that I felt I wanted to pursue or uh, that I was that ambitious about to give all my time and energy like football. Um, so uh, I, I was bored. One of my friends introduced me to this small little production um, and it was something that was literally 10 minutes from my house and they offered me a role in it and, and, a, and a producer credit. And out of boredom, I decided to take them up on it. Uh, I took a small little role and, and I was fortunate enough to play um, a character that was next to this other character named Clifton Powell, this other actor, um, incredible legendary actor that's been in some incredible films, Dream Girls, uh, some of the biggest films you've seen, he's been in them. And he thought I had some natural uh, talent in just a few scenes that we had, that we had uh, performed together. And so he uh, encouraged me to take uh, acting serious, especially knowing that he knew that I didn't have anything else that I was passionate about. So that's how I got into acting. I pursued it after he encouraged me and found that there were a lot of similarities to acting in football. And, uh, and, it, and it became a pretty seamless transition once I fully committed uh, to the craft. What's been your favorite role so far, either either film or TV? <laughs> uh, man, uh, that's uh, the cool part about what I'm doing now as an actor is that I'm I'm able to live uh, other people's lives and perspectives, uh, <laughs> and so I think all of the characters have their own special meaning to me. Um, and it's and, and especially different times in my career where I'm now I'm almost nine years in uh, as an actor and a producer um, and each role that I take I want to challenge myself more and more um, but if I had to say one role I would definitely say I'm really proud of my my role in Marvel's Luke Cage uh, Comanche the Comanche role that I played because uh, you know it's Marvel it's uh, it's the Marvel Universe, you know. I, I was able to represent a character from the Marvel Universe, and um, and then the storylines, you know, Chael Coker, who's the showrunner and creator of that show, uh, he's a brilliant writer, and uh, he really gave me, um, I feel the first opportunity to really show my my range as an actor, uh, and show that I was a serious actor and not just a football player trying to act. Okay, so which is more nerve-wracking? You're standing on a soundstage reading lines for a part in front of all these big-shot producers, or you're in the backfield, it's fourth and one, everybody in the stadium, everyone on defense knows you're getting the ball, and you got to make this yard, to you know, otherwise your team loses. Which is more nerve-wracking? <laughs> uh, oh, man. Uh, yeah, some good questions. In it. Um, I, I would say... What's more nerve wracking is probably being in front of uh, producers, uh -huh. um, because at least in football, um, you know, you, you you have a helmet on, um, you know, you you also if, if someone misses their block and I get hit in the backfield, then it's solely not my fault, uh -huh. um, and so I think there's a little more leeway there. Um, as opposed to if you go in on an audition and you're in front of producers and casting directors and you completely bomb your audition, you forget your lines, you completely uh, let them and their stares take you out of your character, take you out of your preparation, and then you have to walk out of that audition knowing that you blew a potential uh, career-changing opportunity, I think that's a little more nerve-wracking. Yeah, I personally would agree with that. Not that I've ever carried the ball on fourth and one or anything, but you know, you had one of the greatest, one of the most memorable short yardage runs in Jet history. And I think you probably know which one I'm referring to in that San Diego playoff game. Uh, remember that at the end of the game? And, you know, oh, yeah. it, it was a must have it situation. And everyone knew you were getting the ball and, and you got it. You got in, and that clinched the game. Do you remember that play vividly? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Vividly. Uh, it was one of the biggest plays in my career. Um, you know, I, I, after I played in Chicago and uh, we, we went to the Super Bowl and we didn't win, um, my goal was always to, to get get to the Super Bowl and win again. And that play um, was obviously a play that we needed um, to get to the next game. And so I was not going to not get that first down. Uh, I, rem I remember Shadi and, uh, and Rex looked at me and they were like, hey, 
you know, we're going, we, you know, we're giving the ball to the vet, you know, to the veteran. I said, like, give me the ball, man. Just give it to me. Yeah. So we were in the huddle and uh, it was so intense, you know, uh, everybody was just like looking at each other, like, come on, guys, we're one game away in the AFC Championship game. Mm-hmm. And they were just looking at me. They knew I wasn't even, look. I didn't even look at them in the eyes. I was just looking at the ground like, do I have to jump over the top? Do I have to run somebody? Else? Like, I was just thinking of all of the options to get that first down because I was definitely, I was not going to be stopped. Yeah, and that was a tremendous upset. Everyone thought the Chargers were going to win that game and the Jets come in there and win it. Go to the championship game. Uh, that was a monster year for you. You had 1,400 yards. What was that What was that run like? And, of course, it ended, you know, one step shy of the Super Bowl. You ran into, a, you know, a, a really good Colts team there. But uh, what was that whole run like with the Jets that year? That must have been a real fun time. Man, it was incredible. It was one of the most incredible times of my life. I, I mean, to the year was so up and down. I mean, it was very, it's a very strange season because we, we, I felt like we had a great team. We had an incredible defense. We had an incredible run game. I know we had a young quarterback at Mark, but, but he was able to come in and, and, and do well and manage the game. And then he continued to get better. Um, but for some reason we would lose games that we should have won. Um, you know, usually when a, when a running back has over 200 yards rushing, you win the game and, over 200 yards rushing against Buffalo and we lost. I mean, there was just a lot of strange uh, things that usually don't happen for a team that, that made it that far in that season, but it was so much fun. I loved Rex uh, Ryan. He was one of my all time favorite coaches ever. Uh, I loved my teammates, Um, the offensive line and and the running backs. We were just such a close knit group. Um, We literally were brothers, family, um, it, it was it was a very very fun time, and it's in New York City. Mm-hmm. You know, to be to win in New York City, um, you know, besides Chicago, there's no other there's no better place to win. Um, it was just electric. The city was just, I mean, incredible. You know, um, you know, they had the, the Jets green um, lights right. in Manhattan on. Uh, I think it was was it the uh, was it Empire State Building. Empire State Building, yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah, it's just, you know, and and, and also the Jets hadn't done that in a while, mm-hmm. a long time, you know, and, and so it, would, it was just an incredibly fun season. Um, and then, you know, even rushing for 1,400 yards, for me, um, after the year before, when I, you know, I had gone to the Pro Bowl, I wanted to top it because I kept hearing the older you get, um, usually the production stops for running backs. And mm-hmm. so uh, I had this mission to continue to prove people wrong. And so uh, being able to rush for 1,400 yards and, um, and and have that type of season. And even Rex, you know, at one point thought we were out of the playoffs. Yeah, he you did know? say that <laughs> after the Atlanta loss. He said, we're eliminated, and it turns out you weren't. <laughs> yeah, he told us. He said in the team meeting, hey, guys, so, you know, we're out of the playoffs. And, of course, we believe him. You know, he's the coach. You know, it's like so. Then we find out we're not. We're like, oh, okay. We need to get it. We need to get it together. We still have a chance, and we were able to. So it was a lot of fun. One of the best years of my life. You know, you make a really interesting point, Thomas. You know, Mark Sanchez as a rookie. You know, obviously had some ups and downs that year. He had some games where he had a lot of turnovers. And the Jets are going through the same thing right now with their second year quarterback, Zach Wilson, who's kind of a, you know, game manager, but, you know, he's had some turnovers and he's got a really good defense in a running game. So the similar situations are somewhat similar. I'm wondering if you could describe as a veteran player on that 9 team, how do you, how do you manage like the young quarterback? You know, he's going through growing pains. It's, it's, he's not trying to turn it over. It's just, he's inexperienced. And as a veteran player, is that does that get frustrating, or how do you manage it? How do you help him? Because the Jets are going through some of that stuff right now. Yeah, it definitely gets frustrating um, because, you, I mean, when you turn the ball over, you give the game away, and so no matter what you've done productive uh, during the day, one turnover just erases all of it, and and it's also tough too when you have a quarterback that, you know, you like the kid, uh, you know that he's putting all his effort into it and it's just growing pains. So you have mixed feelings because you you know that you have to work through it with the, with the quarterback. But at the same time, 
You know, I mean, you're going out here playing four quarters and you're playing to win. So at the end of four quarters, you've given all this effort and you lost because of a mistake from a quarterback, bad read, um, you know, didn't get rid of the ball on time, didn't manage the, the clock, didn't manage the game properly. It's very frustrating. So it's, it's a bittersweet uh, situation to be in. Um, we were definitely in that situation with Mark. Um, but but what I loved about Mark is that Mark's continued to, to, to keep his confidence and and we also rallied behind him. Yeah, he, he had a really good veteran uh, offense, you know, between the offensive line, you know, Alan Fanica, Damian Woody, Brandon Moore, uh, and then Tony Richardson and myself. And, uh, you know, he had some he had some veterans behind him to help him keep his confidence. So hopefully Zach will have he's got some veterans on there on the offense too to help him keep his confidence as well, because he's a good quarterback. What was uh, what was playing with Brett Favre like the year before? Uh, it was. Uh, it was very interesting, man. Um, I played against Brett for years in Chicago. And so, uh, you know, I, I guess the the mystique of Brett Favre for me was a little different because, um, you know, I think I won the majority of the games we played against Green Bay. And mm-hmm. usually, you know, it was because he would, you know, give us the game at the end. You know, we would, I mean, that would be the thing. We would say, hey, you know, he just play hard. Um, and minimize mistakes because he'll he'll give you the game. That was kind of what uh, a lot of the teams thought. Um, but obviously, he's an incredible quarterback, one legendary quarterback, one of the best ever. And uh, you know, we had fun. You know, in two thousand eight, that was a fun season. Uh, he came in and and he he played well enough. Um, you know, to 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 keep eight nine guys out of the box. You know, um, which helped me a lot, you know, because they had to, you know, respect Brett and, and his random, the way he, his random style of play. I mean, this guy, one minute he's sacked and the next minute he's just throwing it up and next, you know, it's a touchdown. It's like, I've never played with a guy like that. He literally played like he was in one of those uh, Wrangler commercials that he does. In the right, backyard. Right. Yeah, it doesn't even, and and and, and then some of the times he, he didn't even know what the play was. He didn't even know the play. Like, it, it was so strange. Like, I'm like, <laughs> You don't know what you don't know what the play is. You called the play wrong, but then you threw a touchdown. It's like it's crazy. Yeah, that's uh and, and that team was talented. I mean, because you guys were on your way. I thought that team could that might be the team to go to the Super Bowl and then things fell apart at the end. You know, that was that was a pretty bad home stretch run there. Yeah, yeah. I think we had seven straight wins or yeah. Um and uh yeah, we came on strong and uh, we we couldn't pull it out at the end. I think we need needed one win or mm-hmm. two wins or something like that at the end of the season. And I think a lot of that too was uh, I know Brett had an injury, shoulder injury, and, right? Um, and then we just um, like a lot of teams, you know, sometimes you gel too early in the season. Yeah. The NFL is why that's why the NFL is such a great sport. Uh, you know, teams that don't play well early gel towards the end. Teams that play well early they fall apart at the end. Uh, you know, you just never know what's going to happen. You know, one of the things I remember about you, Thomas, is like you were not you did not like seek the spotlight. You didn't do a lot of interviews. You weren't like looking for the TV cameras. I mean, you did it, but, you know, you didn't go out of your way. It seemed but I found out from talking to other players and even afterwards that everyone said you were like the, the heart and soul guy on that team. You were the glue guy the leader behind the scenes and you know, you weren't the most talkative guy publicly, but it seemed like you were the guy who kept things together behind the scenes. Is, is that kind of a fair description of what your role was? Yeah, I would definitely say that I'm, I'm a very, uh, at that time, uh, introverted person. Um, when, when, it, when it came to football, mm-hmm. um, because football meant so much to me, it was, it was, everything um and so uh, I wanted to win I wanted to do whatever it took to win um and I was a a pride I took pride in being a great teammate whether you were a rookie free agent uh or whether you were a 12-year veteran um everyone was treated the same everyone was held to a certain standard of uh of of greatness in my mind because I was willing to stay at the facility till eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night and watch extra films, stay in the weight room with another extra hour, uh, get treatment 
and stay in the cold tub for another 15 minutes. Um, I was that guy and it didn't matter whether you were on offense or defense, you know, I was always trying to uh, encourage guys um, because I really wanted to win. So that means a lot to, uh, to leave a team. And, and that's what people think because I didn't do it for personal gain. Um, I just genuinely loved football and genuinely loved my teammates and I wanted to win. There was no better feeling than getting a win and coming in the locker room after the game and celebrating with your team. Like that to me was like the happiest time in life. And so uh, I knew how hard it would be to win, but I also knew, you know, if everyone was encouraged and everyone was, was at their best and as confident as they possibly could be, it could happen. So yeah, that's a huge, uh, huge compliment. So I, I'm always grateful when people have that type of uh, uh, description of me. And to this day, I still don't understand why the Jets released you. <laughs> I mean, I it's one of the most head-scratching decisions. You know, I know they had a young <laughs> running back in Sean Green who was coming up, but obvi- I mean, you were coming off a 1,400-yard season. And right. I mean, that to me is just a head-scratcher. Right. I think, I think when the playoffs, you know, I mean, I also I had about 330 carries or something like that. And um, you know, it was a, it was a year where, you know, I mean, I carried the ball a lot. Um, but I think it comes down to the business, which yeah. which is how I ended up in New York in the first place, right. uh, because of the business. And they owed me, you know, a substantial amount of money that I felt I had earned. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just wanted to save money. And right. I don't think they realized the value of uh um, that I had within amongst my teammates um, and Sean Green was a great back and then Leon was was great and I know he, had, he broke his leg that year yeah um, but I was devastated honestly and and I and before we went into that season I tried to work a new deal with him me and uh, Drew Rosenhaus tried to work a new deal with uh, with Mike Tannenbaum and um, you know figure out how we could split the money um, but usually you don't get released after 1300 1400 back to back seasons uh, you, you don't get released you know i've had i've had, my career was very uh <laughs> unprecedented in a lot of ways i think i was the first running back to ever be traded after having 100 yards in the super bowl i get some random like i have the, i think i have more random stats yeah. <laughs> that I'm the only person in nfl history than than anybody else <laughs> well, for sure, you. I mean, the Jets have been blessed with some great running backs, and I think you, you and Curtis Martin are right up there at the very top of the list in Jet history. Uh, a great, thank great you. running back for the Jets, and I, I can't thank you enough for joining us, Thomas. And I want to mention again two things. Um, one, definitely go to Prime Video and check out his new docu series. It's called Life After. Follows 12 players as they make the transition to uh, from the NFL into life of uh, post football. And it's really, really good. I highly recommend it. And Thomas is one of the producers. He's also featured in it as well. So you learn a little bit about his background and also on Bounce TV. Check out the series Johnson. Thomas is uh, the lead actor, the producer and the showrunner. And so you definitely want to check out that. Uh, I can't, I mean, so happy for you, Thomas. I love when players thrive after football because, you know, you do hear those stories about guys who really, really struggle. And, and it's great to see a former player, especially a former Jet, doing so well. Thank you, Rich. And I appreciate uh, just the support and the coverage over the years, man. You know, you're a, a, a consummate pro, uh, super knowledgeable of the game. A lot of times players, uh, you know, we have – you know, kind of sometimes it's tumultuous relationships with, with the media. But what I can say about you is that you were always, always respectful and insightful. Uh, and you always looked at things from from both uh, sides of the table. So I have all the respect for you and I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Well, well you were easy to cover, Thomas, because all you did was rush for 100 yards every week. So I never, <laughs> I never had to criticize anybody, anything, especially in that year. I mean, those jet teams were so loaded. But uh, again, right. Thomas, thank you so much. I really appreciate the time. We'll catch up down the road. Sounds good. Thanks, Rich. I appreciate it. And we've got Twitter time. A bunch of questions here from excited Jets fans. Excited about this 6-3 and three start. And why not? And we start with at Starter Fan who said, Hey, Rich. 
Not wanting to put the cart before the horse, but with this win over the Bills, how likely is it that we get at least a winning record this season? The schedule looks pretty decent. You are absolutely right, starter. Right now, the Jets' strength of schedule is ranked 31st in terms of difficulty. The only team with an easier schedule on paper, the Philadelphia Eagles, which uh, bodes well for their chances of going undefeated. But for the Jets, yeah, it looks like a favorable schedule. Absolutely, you should expect a winning record at this point. You're three games over 500. I think that would be a, a real disappointment not to finish over 500. And as I said earlier, the Jets have a 72% chance of making the playoffs, which would snap their playoff drought at 11 years, which is the longest current active drought in the league. Next one from at PM Flynn 89. Is it too early to declare that Sauce and Reed are the best cornerback tandem we've had? Revis and Cromartie worked in a different man-heavy scheme, especially under Rex Ryan, and Revis rarely had any safety help his side of the field. But you never hear Sauce and Reed name getting called for getting beat on TV, or getting called on TV for being beat. Uh, yeah, I don't think Sauce and DJ Reed are quite up to the uh, Revis Cromartie level yet. I mean, Darrell Revis in 2009 and 10 was one of the elite defensive players in the league. He should have won Defensive Player of the Year in 2009. Cromartie was very good at a Pro Bowl level as well, and you're absolutely right. You know, they played a man-heavy scheme. This is a different scheme, which, you know, not to denigrate what they've done, I just think those guys did it over a longer period of time, and they did it in the postseason. Let's see where Gardner and Reed go with it, but they're obviously off to a really good start. Next question from at Anonymous KOD. Is DJ Reed the best free agent signing since the Jets have made in the last 10 years? I'm thinking yes. Anonymous, so I'm, I'm gathering you're not on the Tremaine Johnson, Le'Veon Bell bandwagon? Uh, of course, I'm kidding there. The Jets usually don't do good free agent signings. It's really not in their DNA. And I searched over the last 10, 12 years they have not had many good free agent signings at all. So I would say, yeah, I think DJ Reed has to be considered. I mean, if he finishes the year the way he's been playing, I would say, yeah, he'd be the best. Um, you know, C.J. Mosley is a good player. Uh, the price point for him was crazy. So if you want to include value in that evaluation, I don't think we can count Mosley as a great free agent signing. But he has been a really good player for the Jets. But DJ Reed, I think, has a chance to surpass that. Next one from at Cam McLaurin. Rich, I live in Buffalo, and it's cool to hear people around the city giving props to the Jets for their game plan and halftime adjustments. I'm even reading positive quotes my Bills players about the Jets. Now, Cam didn't have a question, but I thought that was a cool um, input from Buffalo. You know, the Buffalo fans who were super passionate and diehard. I, I love going to Buffalo for games because it's like a college atmosphere. There's so much spirit. And I think it's telling that to hear the Bills players uh, complimenting the Jets. Uh, I heard one guy saying, I think it was Dawkins, saying that the Jets have just a different swag. Uh, so kudos to the Bills for uh, giving the props to the Jets. Next one from at Dr. Eric Klein. And his question is, how do you think the return of Corey Davis will impact the wide receiver rotation particularly the playing time Elijah Moore and Denzel Mims? Great question. Robert Sala already on record is saying that Mims is absolutely going to be part of the plan going forward. Now, we expect Corey Davis to be back for the New England game. And the, the question is, who's the odd man out? They're only going to dress five receivers for, for a game. You really can't dress six. It would be a stretch especially if you're dressing nine or ten defensive linemen. So uh, someone's going to have to sit. You know, I don't think it'll be Jeff Smith. You know, he's got a big role on special teams. It could be Elijah Moore. I mean, honestly, if the guy's not producing, why play him? I think Elijah Moore could be the odd man out. And, uh, you know, they'd get more time for Berrios in the slot or maybe uh, get back to working Garrett Wilson through the slot. But Wilson is doing fantastic at the exposition i don't know if i'd want to mess with that but it's something that bears watching as we go forward 
Next question comes from at BM, uh, BGMAC1. Rich, over the summer you came on the Jets Lounge space and explained to fans why you've been somewhat of a cynical reporter because of what you've been through with the Jets. That helped me understand your approach to reporting on this team. Has that view changed as they stack wins? Really good question, Big Mac. And, yeah, I don't know if I used the word cynical when I was on the Jets space or the Jets Lounge space. But, yeah, I mean, when you cover 11 straight years of losing, naturally you're going to be a little cynical. And I think all reporters, whether it's sports, news, entertainment, I think all reporters by nature are cynical. And it's almost part of the job description. And, uh, you know, I think I, I don't think my approach has changed at all. It's just that the Jets are winning. They're doing positive things. So that's what I've been writing about. You know, all these stories this year on the Jets, you know, except for maybe a couple last week when they got, you know, beaten by New England, all these stories have been positive because the team's winning. You know, when you go in 4-13, and 13, it's hard to come up with a lot of positive stuff. So I don't think I've changed at all. I think I'm just reporting the news. And I know that sounds overly simplistic, but that's really what's what's been going on. It's, uh, just reporting the news. And uh, selfishly, of course you want the Jets to win because, look, I get on TV more. I get to write uh, stories that are read more, that get a pl better play on ESPN.com. Uh, what reporter wouldn't want that? So we always root for the best story. Whatever the best story is, is what we want. And that's a wrap on this week's edition of Flight Deck. I want to thank Thomas Jones for stopping by. That was really cool of him. I really enjoyed that chat. Uh, glad I could get these midseason awards done. A lot of positive awards this year. Really, really not too much negative at all. No one expected the Jets to be 6-3. and three. They've already eclipsed the Vegas preseason win total, which was 5.5. They've already gone past that. I believe that is the earliest clinch in history, according to our uh, ESPN stats people. So a really, really great start for the Jets. They head into their bye week. And uh, thanks to Jeff Scopin for producing this. And we'll talk to you next time on Flight Deck. Flight Deck.